So John Lynch, welcome to the Convene podcast. I've been excited about this uh, actually all the way home from, strangely enough, Phoenix, where you live last night. Uh, You're a pastor, 27 years. That's longer than the average pastor, which I think is about three years in Phoenix. You're the author of the book, I'm so old that I still call it True Face, but I know it's now called Cure. (laughs) old school, my friend. Cure. And on my worst day, which is in my copy more underlined than not, uh, you're a playwright and actor. You have three children, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Convene podcast. Great. Thank you, man. I have been as excited, if not more than you, just to get to hang out with you. You You are a good friend of mine. And oh, so gosh. Well, we've shared a few breakfasts on the beach in uh, California, your old stomping ground. And I yeah. failed to mention you're a Talbot Seminary grad. And now your elevation just went very high. <laughs> minds of all the theologians yeah. listening to us. Yeah, but, uh, listen, uh, years ago, I don't know how many years ago now, six, seven, eight years ago, you brought down the house with a standing ovation at a convene event, I was there. You did your classic signature two roads talk. Yeah. What? It was one of those times where something's happening between a speaker and an audience and everybody knows it. It, it, It's like the movie Shakespeare in Love. They're doing Romeo and Juliet and all of a sudden everybody realizes, wait, this is something special. You know, because I've done the talk where it, wasn't all that impressive, uh, but that was an incredible evening. Yes, I think I think the Holy Spirit was very present, but everybody listening to us uh, wasn't there. So, uh, if you had to say the signature themes of Two Roads, and maybe if you sort of cast it for us in the in the vernacular of leadership, we're, we're at Convene, we're about leaders, we're about young leaders, emerging leaders, entrepreneurial leaders, CEOs of uh, multi-million dollar companies, uh, CEOs of companies that are starting up in their home, but they're all leaders and they're feeling pressure some days. And Two Roads, I think, speaks to that with uh, hope. And uh, so talk about that. Well, one of the things to talk about is I'm going to be giving that talk in Ojai uh, at, at the conference. I am so jacked to do that. Uh, and I failed to mention I have the convene T-shirt. Oh, my. Oh, my. That was, you, yeah. That's extra credit. Extra credit. Absolutely. So, um, but in, in fact, I wrote this down because it's maybe more particular to leaders than anyone else. It's, I wrote, it's not the pressure that harms us, but this debilitating tension that can sneak into the pressure. The tension involves fear, uh, fear that you're going to be revealed as a failure. And your God says, you don't have to carry that tension because uh, I live in you and mm-hmm. I can handle you. I'm, I'm crazy about you on your worst day. I can handle you. So that tension uh, gets no place to operate. Uh, it, it's the beautiful, and then any remaining pressure just allows me to focus better. 
But that kind of sets up a little bit of the two roads talk in terms of business leaders. It, there's um, at some point after grappling with trying to make sense of this faith and um, trying to perform for God, hoping that he'll like me enough that he'll reward me in some way or not cause harm to me. After a long enough time, God finally says, that's enough. And I want you to face how you're living this life. And I'm going to give you two choices. And he, he uh, sets up um, pleasing God or trusting God. Is that how you're going to live this life? And most of us would probably say, well, it, it, um, gosh, trusting God, I don't know what that means. I don't even know how to handle that. But pleasing God gives me something to do. And especially for an entrepreneur, it, it's the least I can do. I mean, after all he's done for me. So I play that out and I uh, walk that path and it takes me to a place of trying hard, trying so hard to, to be all that I should be. And it sounds right. And I, and I come up to a door that, that says two words on it, self-effort. And we know God did his part. We got to do our part. I mean, God helps those who help themselves, right? So I open that door and it leads me into a particular room where a banner in the back says, striving hard to be all God wants me to be. But as I look around the room after a while, um, Everybody's talking smack. Everybody's on their game. Everybody's, uh, but there, you can see it's not authentic. And you can see it's not real. And you can see nobody trusts each other. And, and if you look close between the seam on the mask and the face, you can tell there's um, great sadness and loneliness and isolation and the sense that there's nobody here that I can trust. So even though I think this is the place I'm supposed to be, uh, one night I kind of slip out the back and I'm back on the road again. And uh, I'm just, I'm devastated because I don't know what to do now. I don't know how to live my life if I'm not going to be with that set of people. But I find myself back out on the road and uh, I look at that sign that says, trusting God. I'm thinking, what in the world? I, I am so so messed up now because I have no idea what that even means. And I, I start walking that path and I see, I see this banner, this statement that says living out of who God says I am. What? <laughs> it sounds like one word at a time. Thank you so much. Living out of who God says I am. And I keep walking and there's uh, a door there too, but instead of two words, there's just one word. It's the word humility. And if, if I could have a definition for humility for us to use, it would be trusting God and others with us. And it's like I have this aha moment where I say, God, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't pull this off. Either you are in me and have the power to make things happen, you're stronger, you're better, you're kinder, you have more power. I'm doing this, I'm just grinding it out and it's killing me. Please God, 
be big enough to take care of me. And I open the door into that room. And there is, it looks like the same kind of place at first glance. And so I, I finally, I've had it. I, I had my mask on, I'd rip it off and I say, you know what, I gotta tell you what. I, hey, everybody, hey, listen up, I'm doing not fine. <laughs> I've been doing fine for a long time. I'm a mess. I got so many pressure. I, I, I got I, I got things you don't know about with temptations. You want you wouldn't even want me in your little room if you knew. So thank you very much. I think I'll leave now. And I hear this voice in the back of this room that yells out, "Hey, wait! That's all you got? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take your little list." And I'll call you and raise you five. I got so much stuff. Anyway, he says to me, uh, and you're welcome here. And it is a place that is messy, uneven, but it is authentic and real. And, and I notice here after a while that beautiful work is getting done creative work. Oh my, I never thought in a room of grace, and that's what this is. I never thought in a room of grace that there would be any chance that it would be anything but uh, unicorns and bunnies and uh, really bad fourth quarter reports. And to find out, oh my gosh, when people are trusted, they uh, live out of that. And they they feel known, they feel safe, they feel empowered, and they start to trust the people around them. And when they get affirmed, they wanna do more of what they've been affirmed with in the place that affirmed them. And so um, I find this place that is the same in my home as it is in the office, that I can live out this life of taking that tension away and living in the reality that God says, John, I'm crazy about you on your worst day. And uh, so that's a little bit of a review of what will get up in Ojai, but it's, um, it's those choices because in Hebrews eleven six it says, without trust, without faith, it is impossible to please me. You, you, you can try all day long to please me, but you'll never learn to trust and you'll never please me enough. But if I say, God, I'm going to trust you with who you say I am. You say on my worst day, I'm Christ in me. Christ in me, filled with grace. You say that on my worst day. All right, I'm going to believe it. And he says, John, not only are you trusting me, but you've never pleased me so much in your whole life. Oh my gosh. Now, now I know that and I don't feel behind at home. I don't feel like I can't parent because I'm out of step with my family. I feel the same way at the office. I don't feel like I have to just lead with my authority and with my role and my, my title and my, I don't have to lead just in that. I can lead out of my person and the strength of my 
person and the safety and the ability to bless others and be winnable and to be able to say, hey, how am I affecting you? And suddenly you have this arena around you that is safe and authentic and genuine and highly creative and highly productive. And uh, it shocks you. You go, how can this happen? And uh, that's, that's life in the business room of grace. Mm. Wow. Thank you for that. It, um, it reminds me of a meeting I was in one time. Uh, sometimes I like to go first when we're supposed to introduce ourselves. <laughs> and um, if I'm the host at Convene, where we have people who are interested in Convene, of course, they're all trying to impress us with their resume. Yeah. yeah. And if I don't go first, it usually looks something like this. You know, Jimmy introduces himself and says, I started this company at a million dollars and it went to a billion and I have five wonderful kids and a dog and a Dodge Caravan minivan and my lawn is perfect and uh, my children line up when I get home and one has a newspaper and one has a cigars and one has my slippers. And, and I, 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 I'm like- and my hunting horn too. Yeah. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> so sometimes I like to go first and talk about my real life where um, you know my marriage was hanging by a thread in 1983. Hmm. And then, Everybody does the me too thing uh, where they say, I have a troubled child uh, or I'm so stressed right now because this is the week that my wife is having her cancer treatment and I'm here. And but why do you why do you think executives feel like they have to sort of perform and pose and wear the mask? instead of being real what, yeah. what say well, it's, it's, coffee it's, with one of those people what would you say to them yeah and and, and they're not alone you ought to go to a pastor's conference <laughs> you want to you want to see the mask on tight and how my church has grown and and i make the statement the more influence we have the more we're tempted to hide our true selves fearing that we'll lose that influence we we are afraid that if I ever took off that mask, that I would lose my authority. I would lose my strength. I would lose my place. That's what we've been taught. And, and so it's, there are no together people, are there? That, that, that took me a, lot, a long time to learn. I thought there was this Gnostic set of really, really on their game people. And they look like it, but there is none of us. All of us uh, have our stuff. Just some of us have better teeth and and sharper looking clothes. But all shoes, of us shoes, sharp, better shoes, sharper looking shoes for sure. Yeah, that's that to me. That is the definer. Yeah, but I'm, I love this statement. I think we wrote it back in Bose Cafe. Maybe um, all of us are awakening to the reality that I can't control my life the way I thought I could. And I'm stuck with unresolved issues whose symptoms I'm trying to fix. 
and all without the help of anyone else. I don't even know what the issues are. I'm just trying to fix symptoms so I don't embarrass myself. And I'm doing it all by myself in private. And this is why I love convene. I don't, this next statement that I'm going to make, I don't know of any group anywhere who does this better for business people than convene. Listen to this. After that last statement, what if there was a place somewhere not with 200 people, nobody at the DMV cares what you're doing. What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would be cared for, valued and loved more in the telling of it, not less. What if there was such a place and convene is daring to risk, and they're all over the country, everywhere. They're not in Trenton, New Jersey, I don't think, but but other than that, you can go anywhere. Um, And they're doing that. They're taking that risk and they're finding uh, one of the great, terrible things of isolation is that it causes us to make decisions out of um, circumstance instead of our convictions. And so to to have this safe place where the worst of me could be known, here's a a, a mind-blowing statement for me, is this, all of us were created by God with limitations. And you think, why would you do that? (laughs) If you love me, why would you create me with limitations? And the answer is, so that I would be loved. If, if love is the process of meeting needs, then unless I let you, unless I have some people in my world, I don't get loved. I can get admired, respected, but I don't get known and loved. And so the, the beautiful thing in a, in a convene group is that suddenly now there's these people who know my story and I discover I'm respected more, I'm enjoyed more, I'm valued more, I'm listened to more, and I'm stood with more. And it blows our minds, just blows our minds. Mm -hmm. So that's my plug for this group because it is stunning to watch it happen and to watch the stories of goodness that follow those groups. Mm, Thank you. I was in a city yesterday that will remain nameless and uh, that happened mm. uh, it, it happened with mm. a uh, uh, a gentleman who we spent an hour and a half working on his um, scenario that was <laughs> difficult and uh, uh, there were questions that were asked that were very uh, mm, I would say tense <laughs> and, and truthful yeah and, uh kind of unearthing little by little and you don't know you don't know where this is going to go you don't you could go south so many ways yeah. yeah and it's quite different quite in my view better than you know we're going to talk about the 17 leadership principles that will make you a great leader or the five things if you do by tomorrow you'll have a better team or the three things if you do by saturday uh, everything will be perfect and 
you know, um, sometimes it's, you know, I hired this person and they're not working out and I feel terrible and I have a board meeting tomorrow. Uh, or I thought that the program that I was about to do would turn our company around and it didn't. And um, so, yeah, it's powerful to be in a group of people who care about each other yeah. and live together. I like to say real learning happens over time in community. And there's this guy that we know from a couple thousand years ago, Jesus, who also believed that because he hung out with 12 people for a long time, three years. And he said, we're going to, we're going to eat together. We're going to fix our sandals together. We're going to wash each other's feet. We're going to do life together. Yeah. And, uh, but he, 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 he's our model. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think of something happened to me um, one Sunday as a preacher that changed how I see. Um, I, in the middle of a message, I said, how long coming to this particular community, this this church, how long did it take before you knew that you were safe? And and maybe it's not a fair question. Maybe Maybe you don't feel safe yet. Maybe you just got here, but just give me a number. And I, and I, I never do this, but I, I said, did it take two years? And raise your hand. I said, said, raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. A year and a half, uh, nobody raised their hand. Six months, nobody raised their hand. Uh, two weeks, nobody raised their hand. I got down to five or less minutes and everybody that I could see in the room raised their hand. Wow. Isn't that some, there's something wow. palpable and tangible about when we with someone else commit to each other. It creates something in our office it, to, to have a team that risks to stay and work through hard things. You can sense it, feel it, smell it, just like the community with the 12 with Jesus. As it spread out, they went, what are you guys? This is legit. This is real. And, and then it, with Peter and at Pentecost, everybody just says, you, you guys, what is happening here? And it's, it's that beautiful wonder that, that Jesus modeled for us. Mm -hmm. Your book uh, has been republished uh, on your worst day. And that's an incredible book. What would be in on your worst day that would speak to a leader yeah. who might be trying to minimize and hide their worst day? You wrote a whole book about it. I was talking to a leader the other day who had a very tough situation with one of the um, things that was happening in their life. I'll make this very oblique. And I, I called them and I said, how's it going? Uh, I know that this really bad thing happened. And they said, you know, I haven't had time to think about it. Uh, I haven't had time to feel anything about it. And I'm just kind of compartmentalizing it, sticking it away. And I'm kind of hoping it will go away because that's, you know, I, I have no time to deal with it. But you wrote a whole book about it. Yeah. And some of the worst day things. Yeah, I, I wanted to write this book, first of all, to show that it's normative to have worse days. It's mm. not, I'm not this emotional exception. All of us, every, just some of us 
like you say, we stuff it and we hide it away and it comes, <laughs> we cry at commercials and we, we just tough it away and it doesn't work for us. It eventually breaks. It eventually um, in some way implodes. It's like playing a game of whack-a-mole. You can put one down, sublimate one down, but another comes up. And so I wanted to show if we can be um, vulnerable, authentic, um, beautiful things can happen. If I hide it away, I get sick. I am sick to the degree of my hiddenness. Isn't that crazy? So, so how do I create those places, those pockets? And I, I have men especially. I love having them give their favorite stories upon my worst day and then explain why. And it just takes, it kind of peels away layers and they're able to get down to, to places that they maybe have never talked to anyone about before. So that's, that's why I wrote it. And I, I, I said, especially for a business person, it's important maybe to hear this, that you're going to have worse days simply because you're on this planet, not because there is necessarily anything wrong with who you are. And that's a huge get for me. Another is um, God makes no mistakes regarding you ever. He never says, oops, he loves you more than you love you. And, and, and what, this incredible thing about redemption, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, every day, every moment, every hour, from, from the second that that uh, thing got broken or hurt or devastated or uh, misplaced or lost or a relationship went away or um, Someone had to be let go and it was not good and it was ugly. For them. From the moment that that happens, God on your behalf goes to work to redeem. And there's never a moment that he sleeps on it. And there's never a moment, whether you feel you're worthy of it or deserve it or want it, he doesn't stop. And so this book, um, what it does is I have at different points along the way, I show God showed up. God tied this thread together. God healed this. And so it is powerful to know that that's happening with me in all my stories, in all my things, so that I don't lose heart. Um, also, I wanted to show that you're right on time. Hmm. That's, a, that's an important statement for me to make. Yeah. And then I, I said that, he cares about me more than I care about me. And he thinks about me more every day than there are sands in the seas. And maybe this is the biggest get for me is I tried to write the voice of Jesus of how I imagine now that I know who he is. And now I know that he loves me so dearly. I tried to imagine what he would say to me in different situations along the way. And I realized in those ugly, hard, frightening places where I didn't know where he was, he says, I was standing right there with you, experiencing it with you. 
nothing did I not go through that you had to go through. And I was sometimes standing in the arena when you couldn't. So I wanted all those things to come out, especially for us men and, and women too. Women really tell me that they relate greatly to the book, but I think they do this um, stereotype, but, but I think they do this more naturally than we are uh, culturally conditioned to do. So I, that, that's why I wrote it. I wanted people to be able to enter in with their own stories and go, wait, here's this guy who's, who's telling his worst days. Maybe I can have the safety to talk about, think about what God's doing in my worst day. Hmm. There was a day for me about 30 years ago, lost a big chunk of money, more than I could afford to lose at the time. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was at the time spending time with Leighton Ford, uh, Billy Graham's brother-in-law, and his uh, sort of activity that he liked to take people through at the time was to put the Rembrandt picture of the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the front of the room yeah. in large format. And we would have to stare at the picture. I didn't know that. That is crazy. For 30 minutes. Yeah. And 30 minutes is a long time to stare at a picture. Uh, But of course, uh, one of the authors that wrote about uh, his experience stared at the picture for a couple of days in uh, the uh, art museum that it's in in Russia. But anyway, here's the father with his hands on the prodigal's shoulders and the prodigal is bowed down with his uh, bald shaved head. That is uh, not a good thing in the culture of the day. His shoes that uh, one of them is worn through his garments are tattered and the father's hands uh, are on the sun because the sun has returned. Right. But here's the thing. I had to answer the question, what do you think the father would say to you if you were the prodigal, the guy who lost 40 grand in the stock trade? Yep. That was me. Mm -hmm. And here's what God would say to me in my mindset of 30 years ago. I told you not to put all your money in one stock. (laughs) Didn't you listen? Didn't you hear me? Your dad told you not to do that. Why did you do that? See, I told you this is not good. How are your kids going to go to college now? What what are you going to do about fixing this? How are you going to get this back? Wow, you are sure disappointing me. Now, all of what I just said is, of course, wrong. Uh, If you could replace my story with any business executive story of a mistake, a failure, what would you say to them? Yeah. It's interesting. It's so good what you're you're doing because I, as a Jesus follower, I have the permission when I hear something that says you're not enough, you failed, you're messed up, you'll never catch up, you violated this. I can know for certain that's never the voice of Jesus. I love that in Matthew 11, it's the only time when he describes what he's like. He says, I am gentle and humble and kind. 
So his voice to me, I will always know it because it's gentle and humble and kind. And he would say, oh, Greg, uh, you didn't do anything morally wrong, kid. You just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And by the way, I'm back here pulling all the strings and you don't know what it's gonna look like yet, but you're gonna have such an incredible life. Oh my gosh, if I could, if I could just show you a few years ahead, this life that I have planned for you and your kids and vacations and, and the beauty of what you get to do with other executives, that you wouldn't be able to handle it. I love you so much. That's what he would say. Mm. He would say, and I think one of the things that 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 painting does uh, that now and does that magnificent book in. Um, for so long, I think we've been trying to love Jesus and love Him well, and Jesus says, "Thank you." I really appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. But would you let me love you? Would you? I, I really appreciate you loving me. But at some point, it's going to have diminishing returns. Unless you let me love you. And that would just mean allowing me to do what that father did to the son. And the son had to let him. And that's, that's magical when we figure that out, because all of us then, in our roles, we're not striving, we're not performing, we're not thinking that we're, we're on a, a short leash and, and it's, it's all going to get pulled out on us. We're not thinking um, all those lies. Instead, I get to know that I am accepted, delighted in, valued, wanted, created before the world began exactly the way I am for the exact group of people that God's going to put me around to get to influence. Isn't that crazy? He, he chose, he says, I wanted there to be a John Lynch on this planet at this time for some people that he can reach that nobody else will. And that's true with every single one of us. He's that He's that crazy about us. Mm. And, and, and so I can walk into any, any situation as an, as an executive and say, I'm enough. Mm. He says, I'm enough. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not set up for failure. He's not going, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to have to expose you here. I'm, I'm, I'm on to you. He never does that. He never plays that game. He's never going to hit us with a two by four. He's never that. He says, I'm kind. I'm gentle. I am humble in heart. Mm. And you can find rest for your souls. John Lynch, I think you are one of the most powerful voices on earth today about grace. You hit it out of the park every time about grace. And the world needs to hear it. And so I just want to applaud the work that you're doing and say thank you. And I look forward to seeing you, uh, well, hopefully before May in yes. Ohio. 
California. I love that you're getting out to Phoenix these days. This is. Uh, I'm going to come see you even before that, and we'll have to wear a different color shirt instead of black uh, yeah. for our next meeting. Yeah. But thanks for joining us on the Convene podcast. We're very grateful. And uh, check out John's book on my worst day or his uh, previous book, The Cure and uh, Bo's Cafe. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, what a privilege. Thank you, Greg.